Good morning, church family. We are here this morning to talk about the unstoppable love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, I want to share something with you. Normally, this would be a day in which we talked about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ going into Jerusalem, uh, going through the uh, or, or culminating the perfect prophecy of the Savior riding into that town to be given up as a sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will on Friday. I have a message that I want to share this morning that goes right along with what we've been talking about uh, with the passion and the unstoppable love of Jesus Christ that we've been talking about for the past three weeks. And so our, our, our Easter schedule as far as our preaching goes, is a little bit different this year. Um, I'm gonna, I, I hope you will all put it on your schedule to come Friday night at 7.30 as we celebrate Good Friday. Um, it wasn't good because anything happened to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It was good because of the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Um, and that's why we celebrate what we call Good Friday. But this morning, I want to talk about the unstoppable love Jesus Christ as it pertains to his resurrection. Now we're going to talk about the resurrection next Sunday as well. And I'm encouraging you, I'm asking you, in fact I'm going to go ahead and put out the ask now and then we'll, we'll end of the message. But I have 250 invitation cards out in the foyer, that, that big display that y'all saw out there. With next week's sermon series on it, it says Sunday's coming. And there are 250 invitation cards. Wouldn't it be awesome if everybody took a couple of those invitation cards and brought somebody to church on Easter Sunday? We'd have to have three services that morning. I'm up for it if y'all are up for it. I'll preach it, I promise you. Um, but I am excited, so I'm going to ask you, uh, to fulfill, help fulfill the Great Commission this week by inviting somebody to church next Sunday. But we are going to finish this series today called Passion. Throughout this series, we've been learning that loving others is a tough business. It's a hard thing to do. So often our love is tied to how we feel uh, or, or our wants or needs being met. How many of you, like me, you grew up in the 80s? Just me? Okay, there's a few. Some of you don't want to say. But God, thank you. I, I appreciate you being honest with me. Yes. Yes, we're that age. Y'all remember Janet Jackson? What have you done for me lately? Right? That's how that... Ooh, y'all didn't know I could go that deep, right? All right, so here's the thing. That's how we look at love, right? We have this idea of looking at love as what have you done for me lately? It's based on how we feel. It's based on our emotions. It's based on our needs being met. And when our feelings change or our wants or needs change, then our love changes. This is called conditional love. And thankfully, this isn't the kind of love that God has for His creation. God loves when it's unreciprocated. God loves when we're rude and we're mean and we're nasty. God loves even when he's not getting anything out of the relationship. 
God's love is evident in the sacrifice that he made of his son, Jesus, so that through him all may trust and believe and have eternal life. But Jesus had to come willingly. He humbled himself and became obedient to the will of his father. This obedience led Jesus to his eventual death on the cross. And today, on Palm Sunday, we, church family, are going to celebrate that death of Jesus, that it wasn't the end of the story. I'm here to tell you, I've been there. It's been 11 years since I've been there, but according to reports, nothing has changed. I've looked in the tomb, and there is nothing there. Our Savior has risen. If you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. But just a little bit of background before we read our scripture today. All four of the gospel accounts in the Bible include the story of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So today I want to read for you the words that were spoken just after he had been resurrected. You see, some of the women who had followed Jesus when he was alive went to his tomb that first Easter morning. They did not find his body. Instead, two men in dazzling robes appeared and said these profound words that we find in Luke chapter 24. We're going to start reading in verse 5 and we're going to read through verse 7 this morning. So if you would, in honor of God's word, if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of his word? No condemnation if you are not able to do so. I completely understand. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 5. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. And the men said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, I thank you for this word that you have given us today. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would move through me today. Let it not be my words that speak today, Lord, but yours. And let our hearts, uh, let the hearts of every person in this congregation and every person who is watching this online, whether it is live or whether it is months down the road, Lord, let these words have a profound effect in their life. Let the searching find healing. Let the lost be found. And let your love rule and reign over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, church family. I want to share with you very quickly about that verse this morning. There's this question, right? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? It serves as both a correction and an announcement. The angel says to them... You're looking in the wrong place. You don't go to Chick-fil-A or a hamburger. Some of, you, some of you will get that a little later. Some of you are just mad that Chick-fil-A is closed today. We don't go to places and expect to find something that's simply not there. He tells them you're looking in the wrong place. No one goes to find a living person in a graveyard. And this is not what these women were expecting. 
The reason they weren't expecting it is because they had not remembered the Lord Jesus Christ telling them, prophesying to them everything that was going to happen. That he first must suffer, he must die, and then he's going to rise again three days later. They should have been waiting those three days in anticipation instead of in mourning. But they forgot the gospel. And their forgetting took them to the tomb that morning. It's not until they remembered the Lord's teaching about the empty tomb that their lives are changed. Nothing could be more important in the Christian life than remembering the gospel and understanding that the tomb is empty. One of the great challenges as as Christians is keeping the truth of our Lord at the top of our minds. We talked about that last week. Praying constantly. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Gazing at Jesus and merely glancing at the world. But the problem is, is that we forget. We wander. We stray. But if we keep our feet in the path of his teaching, then we'll never be overcome in times of sorrow and trouble. We will be the only people death if we keep our minds fixed on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is good news, amen? Not even the grave death itself could stop Jesus. Nothing could stop him. I want to talk about that unstoppable love for just a moment this morning. Think back to all of the things that tried to stop him. Satan tried to stop him in the desert, in the wilderness. The religious leaders turned on him and tried to stop him. The soldiers who crucified him tried to stop him. The crowds tried to stop him. Even the nails in his hands and his feet on the cross tried to stop Jesus. But they could not stop him. Because upon his resurrection, Jesus had overcome death itself. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 says, Where death is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Chances are there is something in your life right now that if you allow it to, will attempt you to stop following Jesus. Maybe it's something that has, for some time now, acted as a distraction. Maybe it's some repetitive sin, or as one Bible verse calls it in uh, Song of Songs chapter 2, it says, the little foxes that come to spoil the vine. You see, it doesn't have to be big things in our lives that cause these issues in our lives, that cause us from getting to the cross, that cause us from gazing upon Jesus and merely glancing at the world. All it needs to be is that little seed of doubt. That little seed of doubt that was planted in the mind of Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say you were going to die if you ate that fruit? All it takes is a little bit. But listen to me, church family, either way, distractions are normal for every one of us. They are normal for every single one of us. The world is full of them. But just like we talked about last week, we have to keep our eyes focused on the cross. And although numerous things have acted as temporary setbacks, the truth is that nothing can negate God's love for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. I think that pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? 
can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a passage. What words. Paul says that there's nothing ever created. Nothing on this earth, nothing above the earth, nothing below the earth that can take away God's love for us. And this should allow us freedom in our lives, not to have to worry or stress about how we're going to pay the high price for our sin to once again be reconciled to God because He's already paid that price for us. He's already paid it. So now, what do we do? What do we do? Number one, we die to our sin. We die to our sin. I believe we must take after Christ's model and die to our sin. We have to repent and push our sin as far from our lives as the east is from the west. But the trouble is, and like some of you here today are wondering the very same thing. What, is, what does dying to sin actually look like? What does it look like? I'm going to give you a little object lesson. I'm not much of an object lesson guy, but I'm going to give you this object lesson. My phone, right? It only works if it has power. It's plugged in, right? When it's dead, I have to plug it in, recharge it. It only has power when I plug it in. Or, it only has power when I give it my attention. You see, there's a physical power that it has to have. The battery has to be charged. It has to have that electrical current running through it. But there's a spiritual side of this too. It only has power if I allow it to have power over my life. Sin works the same way. We are called to die to our sin. The sin itself will probably continue to be a temptation. We are, we are not immune to temptation. There are going to be moments that we're going to give in to that temptation. But even if that were to happen, that is when we ask for forgiveness from God. And ultimately, we are no longer living to gratify the desires of our flesh, but we are new creations in Jesus Christ, learning to conform to His good and perfect will for our lives, just like it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? Oh, church family, you are disappointing me this morning. I woke up this morning as Baptist as I could possibly get, and I need y'all to get with the program. Alright? Follow me. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? Y'all still sound like you're half dead in the morning. Bless your heart. How many of you are happy this morning that you are not who you used to be. That through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are a what? New creation. New creation. Y'all know I was going to get interactive on you this morning, did you? Some of you woke up and said, I didn't get enough sleep last night. I'm going to sleep during Pastor Tony's sermon. No, you are not. No, you are not. I'm gonna, we, we, about short, we, we just about this short of becoming Episcopalian and jump, doing calisthenics. Up, down, up, down, up, down. All throughout the service. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
We are a new creation. The old me, praise Jesus, has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm not one for, you know, those, those I, I, don't like, I don't like taking Scripture out of context. And I'll, I'll tell you, one of the ones that gets me sometimes, I see people driving around with Jeremiah 29, 11 on the back of their on the back of their vehicle or posted up on their wall. And listen, if you got Jeremiah 29, 11 somewhere in your house, that's fine. It's fine. There's no condemnation here, but I want you to understand what it means. Don't take Scripture out of context. For I know the plans you have for me. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans for your good. It's what God was saying to the Israelite people, right? But the problem is you have to go back to verse 10. And keep going through about verse 15 to understand that they were being punished. God was going to allow them in captivity for 70 years to these wicked people because they had walked away from the love of God. But he said, don't you fear. I'm not running away from you. I know the plans that I have for you. I'm going to prosper you. But you have to pay the penalty first. You have to pay the pride. You have to, you have to deal with the consequences of your sin. So there's a lot of scriptures that we read. Some of you are like, Tony, where are you going? Don't worry. I'm not lost. It's okay. Some verses that we like to pick out and use... They need a little background information if we're going to be biblical about them. If we're going to be truly biblical in our life. Believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Hold fast to Scripture. That's one of them. That gets twisted sometimes. <laughs> you can't twist that last one. You can't. Put it back up on the screen there for me, Owen. Therefore, if anybody's in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and see the new has come. That's just like John 3.16. You don't need the surrounding scripture. That's it. That's the gospel in a nutshell. God calls us to be a new creation. But Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of the mercies of God, because of the mercy that He has given to you through the salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, he says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Follow Jesus. Give your all to Him as He gave His all for you. And see what He is going to do. Don't let this world tell you what the truth is. Let God's Word tell you what the truth is. But I want you to look at another verse of Scripture with me this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 12-15. through 15. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. What is He saying? There is, no, there, there is no payment that has to be made to the flesh. You are not obligated to live by the flesh. The flesh does not control you. 
We make the choice to live in the flesh and not in the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death your deeds of the body, you will live. For all of those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Maybe this Easter season is the first time you resist the urge to sin against God in a certain way. Maybe there is a pet sin that you have in your life. And right now, the Holy Spirit is telling you you can overcome this. You can turn away from it. You can walk away from this pet sin that you have. Even if the temptation is so extremely strong and so consistently present, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit living in you always provides a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has come upon you what is commonly common to humanity. You see, we don't experience any kind of temptation that is beyond what any other human being has experienced. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. So if dying to our sin and trusting the work of the Holy Spirit is step one, then what is step two? We already know that Christ did not stay dead. The grave was unable to hold him. So what does it mean for us that he is alive today? It means that we live for Christ. We have to die to sin. We have to live for Christ. The challenge for us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ is to learn how to live for him each and every day. In the Gospel of Luke, we are reminded if anyone would come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This may seem like a simple statement, but it doesn't involve just words. Living for Christ takes very real action. Very real action. I've said for the last few weeks, Christianity is not a passive activity. It is active. It is something that we have to wake up every day and say, okay, Lord Jesus... How do I bless you today? What's the work that you need me to do today? How do I bless others in your name today? How do I show unstoppable love to those around me today? How do I show humble, sacrificial, perfect love to those around me today? James chapter 1, verse 22 reemphasizes this. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You know, my old pastor used to have this saying. He said that the Bible, the words of the Bible that we receive each Sunday morning when we come together or that we sit down and we read in our quiet time every single morning, it fills us and it fills us up. But what happens if you take a bucket of water and you fill it up and you don't dump it out every now and then? It gets nasty, doesn't it? 
It gets stagnant. It gets sour. And my old pastor used to say, some people sit in the pews and they just sit soaking sour. They take up those words of the cross and they don't do anything with it. You see, because every time that the Holy Spirit fills us up, we are supposed to pour it out on everybody around us. And here's the great news, church family. Don't worry. God's got more for you. He's going to fill you up again. So you can continue to pour it out. And listen to me. It does not matter if that filling and that pouring involves your love for people, service for people, or even church family, you're giving. Oh, he done gone to meddling now. He's just the interim and we're ready to kick him out. Listen to me. If you desire to be a faithful giver, God will give you something to give. But you have to trust him first. You have to trust him. You have to trust him that he's going to do it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is when Calvary Baptist Church ran out of money. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Be faithful. Be faithful in everything. God is going to replenish it all. We have new mercies every single day. You see, the Bible is meant to act as our guide concerning how we're to live for Christ. It tells us the sins to watch out for. It lets us know the type of fruit that should be born out of our lives. It tells us what kind of community to seek out. There's a great and powerful instruction all throughout the Bible. But the scriptures aren't just meant to stop at divine instruction. They are meant to inspire us into abundant and faithful living. Because you see, John chapter 10, verse 10. See, I went all through Romans this morning. Y'all thought I was going to get to the one that y'all always hear. But I, I, I threw a curveball at you. We're going to do this one. John 10, 10. A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. Amen. God's desire is that we experience an abundant life right now through the powerful sacrifice, the unstoppable and perfect, humble love of his son, Jesus Christ. And in stark contrast to this stands the devil who is ready to steal and kill and destroy everything in our lives. If God gives the most gracious gifts, the enemy of our souls is the most heinous Scrooge and thief who has ever existed. You see, the experience of this dichotomy, this death to life is one that I can personally attest to. You see, I was dead. Not just spiritually. I was ready to die physically. I was lost. I had no hope. And I had this giant hole in my heart. I thought I had achieved things in my young life that I wanted to do. I thought I was going down the path. I was going down the path that in my mind was supposed to be what I wanted to do for my life. It's supposed to be if there was a creator, that's what I was created for. But oh, how wrong I was. Because the gifts that he had given me, I didn't use for him. Because I didn't know him. 
And so I had this giant hole in my heart. And no matter what I filled it with, never satisfied. I love that song that we sang this morning. Only you can satisfy. That was what was missing in my life. And I kept trying to fill it with everything that I could find. Until one day I said I was done. I was ready to die. I was already dead spiritually. I wanted to die physically. And in one last ditch effort, I remembered all the stories that I had heard in my younger years that came from the Bible. And in my car one night, I cried out. I said, God, if you're real, you have to show me something. Because I'm ready to be done. I'm ready to end it. I don't want to live anymore. And God did miraculous things in my life. Now, I will tell you, as many of you know, I'm as stubborn as they come. And God had a... Somebody's laughing a little too hard out here today. It's Clyde again. I, mm-hmm. I'm stubborn. I wanted God on my terms. I wasn't ready to go on his terms. But God began a work in me that day. And sometime later, I finally, sitting in church, sitting in First Baptist Atlanta, listening to Dr. Charles Stanley preach, I turned and looked at my wife and I said, I get it now. I get it. It's not about me. It's not about how I do it. It's not about my ways. It's not about how I want to see God. It's about what he did for me and what he wants to do through me. And I understood that. So 23 years ago, next Saturday, April 8th, 2000, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And I received the unstoppable, perfect, sacrificial, humble love that he has for every one of us. And I have never looked back. There have been dark days. There have been temptations in my life. There have been times that I have fallen into it. But I'm telling you, it's not as if I had to turn around and run through all of that junk to to Jesus because as soon as I was ready to come back to him all I had to do was turn and he was standing right there waiting for me I have witnessed what Jesus Christ can do with somebody who is very far away from him I wanted to do things my way I wanted to call my shots in my life and I wanted nothing to get in my way but there's good news even amidst amidst all of the things I tried to put in God's way his love still found me His love is unstoppable, it's unconquering, it's perfect, it's unyielding. And my story is just one of, I'm sure, dozens that are in this church or watching online right now. You know, I'm going to close this morning. 
Easter is one of the most special times for us to celebrate our collective freedom. It's a day to remember our individual testimonies. A day to celebrate and commemorate all that God has brought us through as individuals, as a community. And as we've learned throughout this series, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was fueled first and foremost by unconditional agape love. Christ was humble. He was obedient. And his love for us was perfected 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross only to be raised again three days later. And believers, the tomb is empty. But that empty tomb is where we find the fullness of life. But for some in the room today, there's simply nothing more than empty life. Your experience of life is monotonous, repetitive actions devoid of any hope, of any joy. And if you're honest with yourself, it's devoid of the unconditional love that I talked about today. But the good news is, the actual, actually... (laughs) The greatest news is, is that the experience that I talked about and that I described in my life, it can be yours. And you don't have to live a life that is devoid of joy and of hope and of peace and love. The abundant fullness of life in Christ is available to anybody and everybody who believes in him. Who trusts him. And if that resonates with you today, I want to take a moment to tell you that you can trust Jesus today and know for sure that you have eternal life with him, just as I did 23 years ago. You can know without a shadow of a doubt. The Bible tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to ask you this morning, If there's anybody in here who has never done that, if you've never trusted in the perfect love of Jesus Christ, I want you to do that today. There's nothing special that you have to do. You just have to surrender. Say, God, I trust you. I trust you completely. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are who you say you are and that God raised you from the dead. That that tomb is empty. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you. And Father, I truly pray that if there is somebody in here, in this room or online today that does not know you, has never trusted you, I pray for that person right now. I pray that they would surrender their lives to you, that they would trust without beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are who you say you are, that you love us with an unconditional love that will never stop, and that you want your absolute best for us. And Father, I thank you that you are who you say you are. Lord, you love so much we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there is nothing better than welcoming new believers into the kingdom, and especially at Easter. As we close up our time today, Jake, go ahead. As we close up our time today, as we wrap up this series, let's commit to looking and sounding 
and acting a bit more like Jesus Christ. Consider his humility and his obedience. And pray about the areas in your life where you need more of the same. Get connected with a Sunday school group, small group here at the church, a group of believers. Start a new group. Get together with a few people over coffee and discuss the Bible. Talk about what God has done in your life. Or commit to serve in this church for His kingdom in one small way or a large way, whatever it is. But church family, take individual steps towards an active life of faith. Not a passive one. Be active. Just as Jesus Christ walked out of the grave, remember today that He has called you to move from death to life as well. Let us live together thrive together in the abundance of life that was promised by Jesus Christ. Father, we give you all praise and honor and glory today, Lord. We love you. We thank you for the promises that we read in your word. Lord, they're never ending and they're never failing. And Father, we just give you glory. We give you glory today for who you are. How you love us. Lord, how you love us. We thank you. Lord, we just stand in awe of the wonderful love of our Father and your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church family.